Well, I want to invite you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, and this morning we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through, through 15. Uh, this is week four in our series called Transforming the Next Generation. This is our, our stewardship campaign, our stewardship series, and this morning I want to talk about the dynamics of grace giving. Now, if you've been with us, you've known that uh, we began the first week talking about uh, why we feel the need to build a children's ministry and youth ministry center. Uh, and then the ne- next week, uh, I talked about uh, how God uses buildings and wh- how God tends to manifest his presence in those places. And then we talked about our incredibly generous God who owns everything and gifts us with things uh, so that we can be effective in his kingdom work. And this morning, I'm going to talk about the dynamics of, of grace giving. So uh, I have the privilege, as I mentioned last week, of coming from a family uh, that had a culture of generosity. And I am, I am super grateful for that. And that hit home to me recently when I was seeing some old letters from my grandfather to my father. These were letters that were written before I was born. And... Uh, In these letters, I saw my grandfather manifest a spirit of generosity to my dad. My dad, through the years, manifested a spirit of generosity toward me and toward my sisters. I was the oldest of four. And this culture of generosity was an interesting dynamic because anybody who knew our family knew that there was this really strong work ethic. But simultaneously, there was this idea that if there was an opportunity to pursue, let's figure out how we can make this happen and let's, let's bring generosity to bear so the, this thing can take place. So I'm grateful that my dad invested in my education and in my graduate education. My parents invested a lot in my informal education, allowing me to travel widely, develop an interest in the arts and in music and things like that. And it was the same with my sisters as well. Uh, When my uh, siblings got older, my dad and mom structured times where we could be together in age-appropriate places so my, my, my kids could enjoy it. And that fostered a sense of family unity. So guess what my impulse is with my children, my grandchildren? It's the culture that I learned from my dad. See, my grandfather had this culture. My dad embraced that culture. I've now embraced that culture. And so my impulse with my kids is to be generous with my time, generous with my words of affirmation, generous with my ability to move into their lives. I want to be generous. And it's not just a generosity financially. It's way more than that. It's a generosity of spirit. So that culture, which I feel very privileged to have received, is a culture that I want to extend. And as I thought about that, I thought, you stand, I stand in that exact same place with God. Because the God of the universe is a giver. He is a generous giver. The God of the universe, uh, his, his generosity is really summed up in one word, and that's called grace. Because God's grace is his unmerited, lavishly generous favor that he bestows upon us. God's grace is, is lavish. And so in Christ, I'm blessed, 
Not to be selfish, but to be a blessing. In Christ, because God has blessed me, my impulse is then to be a blessing to other people. Because I'm blessed to be a blessing, part of that blessing is the blessing of investing in kingdom work with my time, with my talents, with my financial resources. And so to look at this this morning, I want to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, and I want to start with a little bit of historical background before we we dig into it, because we're going to see this principle played out there. Uh, During Paul's second missionary journey, Paul finds out that there is a dire need among the believers in Jerusalem. So as he's traveling, he begins to organize a collection. The Corinthians hear about this collection, and the Corinthians say, we want to be involved. And so Paul tells them how to be involved in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4. But some false apostles blow into Corinth, and they hound the Corinthians about money. And pretty soon the Corinthians are really burnt out. And they, they don't want to give anymore. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 to correct the problem that they had, they had entered into, being burned out about money. And what he does in these two chapters is a brilliant piece of motivation. He does not lay a guilt trip on them. He doesn't manipulate them. He doesn't even appeal to their duty. What he does is he appeals to them on the basis of grace. And so I want to look at the details in the three overarching principles of grace giving. Here's the first principle. In grace giving, you control the level of blessing in your life by the way you invest financial resources into ministry. Now, here's the verse. Now, this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So this is a very interesting principle that unless you were a a farmer in the first century, you might not fully comprehend. At At harvest time, the farmers gathered all of their grain and they divided it in two. One portion of the grain was going to be used for food. The other portion of the grain was going to be used to plant for the next year. So you know how this goes. You get to the end of your, of your year, and your food supply is growing meager. And you think, should I dip into the seed for the next year? The farmers would resist that because they wanted to make sure they had enough for, for the next year's planting. So the farmer has a choice. He can sow sparingly the next year, but then he knows he'll reap sparingly, or he can sow generously with the expectation that he will reap generously. I'm not a a farmer and not much of a gardener, but when I was growing up, it was my responsibility to tend to the garden. We moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, and my dad put me in charge of preparing the garden. And so uh, that year we got started a little bit late and we sowed sparingly that summer. And I will tell you, we reaped sparingly by the end of the summer. Next year we were prepared. We sowed generously the next summer and we had so many vegetables that we could not deal with them all. I mean, we're talking zucchini, like we could not figure out enough ways to make zucchini because of all the vegetables that we had. So Paul is using that illustration and applying it to 
our financial giving. And he's saying that the contributions that we make to God's work, i.e. the money that we sow, is like seed. So we're free to choose the level of harvest by the manner that we give. If we give just a little, there will be little benefit in return. If we give more generously, there'll be more. If from time to time we give sacrificially, we receive a larger magnitude of blessing. He says, you reap what you sow. Now, I know what you're thinking. That sounds like, like a, a supernatural aspect is involved in our giving. And indeed, that is exactly the case. Now, the skeptic in you might, might say, okay, so that's one verse. Is this taught in other places in the Bible? And it is. For instance, uh, Jesus says this in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. This is uh, Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, in this version, is, well, in both versions, he's talking about living a supernatural life. And he gives a series of five qualities of a, super, of, of a, of a uh, follower of Jesus. And uh, one of those qualities that followers of Jesus embrace is giving. And what he's doing in this, again, is he's talking about grain. And the, the idea about pouring into your lap was the idea that, that when grain was measured out, they would, they would shake the grain in order to get it to settle. And then the grain would be poured into a fold of your garment. And you would use that as your bag to take it home. We, we take for granted, you know, that... Every grocery store is going to have bags, right? I don't have to bring my own bag. And bags were hard to come by in the ancient world. So you took the fold of your garment and you put it up like that and the grain would be poured literally into your, into your lap. Jesus is talking about an abundance of grain to those who are generous, generous givers. Here's another example from the Old Testament. One man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Solomon's talking about a general principle of giving in God's economy. Those who are generous in their giving tend to receive some sort of blessing in return. He doesn't specify what that blessing is. It might be financial. It might be relational. It might be spiritual. But the thing that jumps out of this verse is that givers have character. Literally, the Hebrew is the soul that gives blessing. And so for somebody who is a strong follower of Christ, there is this impulse inside their soul that says, I want to bless. Like, I have been blessed richly. I want to take what I've been given and I want to invest that in someone else. I've been blessed to be a blessing. So this is saying that givers have character. And as they bless, they receive some sort of blessing in return. Here's, here's one more example. Proverbs 19:17. One man is gracious, one who is gracious to a poor man, lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. That is a fascinating idea. If you see a person who's genuinely impoverished and you give that person money, it is as if you lent money 
to the Lord, and he promises to repay. Imagine for a moment that on your way home from Grace Community Church, Jesus appears to you in the flesh. He's right there. Not in his glorified form, but in the form he had when he was on the earth. And he, he, he says to you, he says, he says Rod, uh, I need some money. W- would you mind lending me some money? What would you do? I mean, I know you'd say, is it really you, Jesus? Is it really you? How do I know it's really you? I mean, let's just assume you, you know it's him. Would you lend Jesus some money? Of course you would. Because he'd be good for it. He owns all the financial resources throughout the earth. And so if you are generous in giving, the idea is that God will repay you in some way. It's not a formula. And we'll see that more as we go through the, out this passage. It's not a formula. But the, the promise is that God will somehow provide commensurate blessing in return. Now these three verses uh, really talk about the same thing. You are blessed to be a blessing if you sow financial resources into kingdom work. Something will come back to you in return. It's not specified what that is and it's not a formula, but it is a general principle. That's principle number one. Now we move to principle number two and it's this. You're free to choose the size and the frequency of your financial gifts. You're free to choose how you want to go about doing it. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Notice that word purposed in his heart. I love that concept because in the Bible, the word heart is a reference to your decision-making faculties. So you, you, you've got the freedom to purpose what you want to do in your financial giving. Now, that was not true. That freedom was not true in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, a certain kind of giving was mandated, and here's what it looked like. There were three tithes in the Old Testament. Uh, the first tithe was one-tenth of your crops and one-tenth of your livestock. So all the crops coming out of your ground, 10% was to be given. All the livestock that you raise, 10% is going to be given. So 20% off the top was a mandated tithe in the Old Testament. Then you had a second tithe. Second tithe was the festival tithe. You had to take that money and be prepared to go to Jerusalem every year for the festivals. And then the third tithe was was the fund of the poor, and that roughly was about 3.3%. So if you put these together, do the math, it amounts to basically 28 to 32% of your total income was mandated for, for the tithe. What's different in the New Testament is that the vision is what I would say call regular percentage giving. I use an acronym RPG regular percentage giving. Now, here's what he says again. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when we go back to this idea of heart, I get to make the decision about how I want to go about giving. 
So let's look at some guidelines from this verse. Guideline number one is, decif- is decisiveness. If, I, if God has given me the opportunity to decide, I need to make use of that decision. You know, many people, when they think about giving, they, they don't decide ahead of time. They give based upon how they, they feel in the moment. If somebody makes a great pitch, okay, I'll give here. If somebody makes another great pitch to some other organization, okay, I'll give here. But this idea is the idea that I sit down maybe at the beginning of a year, maybe a calendar year or a financial year, and I say, God, how are you moving in my heart with regard to my material assets and my financial resources? How are you moving? And how do you want me to distribute funds? I've been blessed to be a blessing. Now, the privilege of doing that is that you actually get to engage with God in such a way that he shows you the way. Now, I don't know how he's going to show you the way. Maybe you're, maybe you're journaling and he gives you an idea. Or maybe you're praying with your spouse and you come up with a plan jointly. But you get the privilege of hearing from God about how you are going to strategically use your financial resources during a given year. One of the aspects of decisiveness is regularity. Regularity in giving is a really, really good thing. Now, don't get me wrong about this, but I'm going to use a word that sounds wrong, autopilot. But when you put your giving on autopilot, there's something really good about that. And the really good thing about that is it ensures the kind of regularity that means you, you decide at the beginning of a year, you put it on autopilot, that regularity then ensures that you carry out that decision. And then as you carry out that decision, you say, God, thank you. Th- thank you that I did what I did because I-, I know I'm doing this in a way that is regular according to the decision that we made at the beginning of the year. So be decisive. A second guideline from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, is willingness. It's the idea of doing something willingly. He uses the words not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not reluctantly means that you, that you don't give because you're out of frustration. Like sometimes you can be guilted into doing something. And if you give and you're resentful, like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm so frustrated. I don't want to do this. He says, don't, Paul says, don't, don't, don't give that way. You don't have to give that way. That's, that's not a, a way of giving that grows you as a follower of Christ. Not compulsion means don't give under pressure. You know, if you say, I feel so much pressure to give. Paul says, don't, don't give that way. Don't give that way. Cultivate a mindset of being willing. Imagine for a second that you give your 10-year-old son or daughter a wonderful present for their birthday. It is a drone with a camera. And they're so excited about the drone with the camera. They're learning how to fly it. They're flying it around. And they just, they love this thing. They play with it every day. And then a friend comes over and the friend wants to play with the drone. And your son or daughter say, no, you can't play with my drone. And you say to your son or daughter, no, you got to share that drone. You got to share that. I want you to share that drone. And finally, your son or your daughter said, fine, here it is. 
Uh, is, is that what you had in mind when you talked about sharing? No, no, because that's reluctant. And God's passion is that you would cultivate the spiritual character of willingness. Here's a third guideline. Third guideline from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 is eagerness. The idea that God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful comes from the same word with, with, with which we get our word hilarious. Hilarious, it is like being at a party and joking around and having fun and enjoying life. It's like a celebration. And what Paul wants is for our thoughts about giving to be like, like a party. Like, yes, I have the opportunity to invest my material and financial resources in God's kingdom work, knowing that I'm going to be a blessing and that those blessings are going to seriously multiply. Now, when your giving becomes something like that, you know that you've cultivated the impulse of generosity. So th think back to what I said at the very beginning. I have a grandfather and a father who manifested a culture of generosity within our family. I picked up on that. All right, what's, what's the delight of my soul to be able to have that same impulse with my, with my grandchildren? So when I, for instance, teach my granddaughter how to cook a certain recipe, and she embraces that and learns that on her own, and then she FaceTimes with me and says, all right, Papa, tell me again the spices that go in the vanilla sauce. Oh, I love that. I love that. Because now I'm, I'm fellowshipping with the person toward whom I have been generous with my time. So the idea is that giving can be something that, that, is, that you're, you're eager and willing and joyful about, about doing. Now, I want you, I want you to uh, notice, notice so, something else. You know, somebody might say, well, okay, just give me a figure. Just give me a figure. Old Testament, 20 to 32%. New Testament, what is it? Like, just, just give, me, give, me the, give me the percentage and, and let me, just, let, just let me do it. Well, here's the deal. The deal is that if I gave you a percent or if some other spiritual leader gave you a percent, what you would do is, is go, mm, can't do that. I'm not gonna do anything. Or you might, you might say, well, I could do way more than that, but if it's just that much, uh, I, I'm not even going to, I mean, I'll just give that lower amount. The reason why the New Testament does not give a specific percent is because the vision is regular percentage giving. So this fourth guideline is planfulness. And planfulness comes from 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save what percent? There's no percent there. As he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. Again, the idea, the vision, the goal is regular percentage giving. And you are, you are picking a percent on the basis of how you assess God has been blessing you. It could be more than 10%, it could be exactly 10%, it could be less than 
It depends on how you assess God has blessed you, which makes it a lot harder because you're saying, God, I love what you've done in my life. You've blessed me. Lord, how should I think about my giving? Show me what you want me to do. In other words, you're wrestling over your individual situation financially. Some might say, I got a really, really, really tight cash flow right now. I can barely afford 1%. Others might say, you know, I've got a more comfortable cash flow. I can, I can, I can do pretty well. I can. Others may say, I, I got a really big cash flow. It'd be, it'd be so easy for me to do 10%. I could do way more than 10%. You get to pick. Regular percentage giving is, is the vision. Um, so here's a guideline. Here's a guideline. The guideline is give what you can give cheerfully and ask God to make you more cheerful. <laughs> give what you can give happily, joyfully, hilariously. Say, okay, God, I'm having fun at this amount. Lord, can, can I give more and still be cheerful and joyful? That's a great way to begin. Um, what blows me away about this verse is that Paul's saying, as you engage in regular percentage giving, your giving becomes then an act of joyful worship. You look forward to the time when you see that your material resources have, been, have had some sort of a kingdom impact. That leads us to uh, the third principle, and that comes from uh, a big chunk of verses, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 15. And the third principle is this, test God's trustworthiness. Test him in this supernatural principle, remembering that you cannot outgive God. Now, I'm going to sp- explain this idea of outgiving God, but the idea of testing God's trustworthiness as a biblical principle, we'll see in a moment. It's the idea of risking, it's the idea of saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something bigger. And I'm going to see how God responds to these promises that he set forth in in his word. Now, to look at this, we're going to look from the end of the passage back to the beginning. We're going to start in verse 15 at the climax and then work our way back into verse 8. Verse 15 is a wonderful climax, as we'll see in a second. Then we'll go from 12 to 14 and 8 to 11. But the whole idea is you cannot outgive the God of the universe. And the culmination is this. 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, Paul is culminating this this whole argument, and he's saying Jesus is the indescribable gift. God the Father gave his son. His son lived 33 years upon this earth. His son's life on this earth was a gift to us. As we read the Gospels, his life was a gift. As we reflect on the miracles, his life was a gift. As we read the parables, his life was a gift. But the biggest gift was the fact that he died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus now leads you and intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father. This is an indescribable gift. And so the idea here is that I could could give sacrificially for the rest of my life with no blessing whatsoever, humanly speaking. I would not have come close to outgiving God. 
God is a giver. His gift, his, his gift of Jesus is the most astonishingly generous thing ever. I, I can never possibly outgive what God has already done. So that's, that's the vision. You know, I, I, can never, I can never say, well, God, I've, I've done more than you. I've, I've about equaled your gift. <laughs> can't even come close. Now, here's another reason why you can't outgive God. Paul now makes an argument, uh, in, beginning in verse 12, and the argument goes like this. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. Remember, they were very impoverished, and Paul's raising a, a collection. But they'll do something else. They will joyfully express their thanks to God as a result of your ministry. They will give glory to God for your generosity to them and all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ and they will pray for you with deep affection. He's describing how God uses your gift to transform others' sense of the bigness of God. You know, so you, you give and others are thinking God is great. You invest in kingdom work and others think, God is amazing. You give of your time, your talents, your treasure, and others think, God, thank you. You are the great God of the universe whom I, I love and adore and cherish. You, you see how that giving works? You give and God is glorified and he gets the praise. So giving catalyzes an expanding movement of praise. And Paul says, they'll, they'll pray for you. So, you know, we have this interesting experience, you know, in Cuba for the past 15 years where we've invested a lot of resources of Grace Community Church into central Cuba and the ministry in central Cuba. And guess what happens when we go down to central Cuba? They love Grace Community Church. They love Ed Schmidt and Dale Willis and many other people who've been down to Cuba so many times. It's not, it's not about the money. It's about the fact that we've invested in their kingdom work and they're grateful because of what God has done. And here's, here's another thing, the reason why you can't outgive God, it's because he gave us Jesus. It's because as you give, God is progressively glorified and the ministry is expanded. But notice what he says here. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. What he's promising here is that as you give, somehow God will continue to provide for you so that you will continue to have resources uh, by which you can, you can give. Paul goes on. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, the for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. This is an amazing thing. What, what, he, what he's saying here is that um, as you give in some mysterious way, the God of the universe will continue to provide for you in a supernatural way so that you'll have more resources to invest in God's work. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that's, that's really true? Like, like that's where the rubber meets the road in terms of the supernatural aspect of giving. If that's true, then God is bound up supernaturally in the way you invest resources in kingdom work. If you are somebody who's an anti-supernaturalist, you look at that and you say, ah, it didn't work. That didn't work. But if, that, if, that, if God is really true in what he says here, that means as you give, you are fellowshipping with the supernatural God who is supernaturally involved in your financial life. Now, the problem with this is this idea has been picked up by the prosperity theology movement and it has been horribly abused. And what people in that movement will say is that it's okay to give in order to get rich. And usually the idea is you give to my ministry, you'll get rich. That is a horrible abuse of this principle. The proper use of this principle is that God is supernaturally bound up in the way that I use my financial resources and God promises to continue to give so that I can continue to give. There's one caveat that I need to point out. And that is if you choose to give sacrificially for a season, sacrifice means sacrifice. You will have to adjust your standard of living. That's what sacrifice is all about. And so part of the joy of sacrificial giving is that if I choose to give sacrificially, God has promised to pour out other things into my life that will bring joy in the midst of that sacrifice. Cindy and I, uh, some time ago, decided that we would make a sacrificial, invest a sacrificial gift into a ministry. And um, I, I will tell you that, yes, we tightened up our belt, but there was amazing joy that came because of what we did. We're still reaping some of the benefits of that joy. So let me um, look at some takeaways, and we'll first of all look at the main, main idea here. The dynamics of grace giving are these. You control the bless, your level of blessing, you are free to control the amount and frequency of your giving, and you cannot outgive God. So here's takeaway number one. Test God's trustworthiness with a discipline of regular percentage giving. Here's the testing verse that I think is just so amazing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Malachi says that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will, do, will not throw open the floodgate of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So what this is saying is that there is a time to engage in that test and say, God, I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to take a risk here. And, and I'm, and I'm going to give a little bit more and I'm going I'm to trust you for what you promise in these various passages. Now, I would say that this season that we're in at Grace Community Church is a really good time to do that. If you have not, if you're not involved in the discipline of regular percentage giving, I would really encourage you to do that. Mostly for you, 
because this is the kind of spiritual discipline that is transformative for you. Um, but also for the vision that we feel like God has called us to. And so um, the thing that we, you know, I've said this a number of different, different occasions that we were asking that people at Grace would prayerfully consider um, making a pledge for a, three, a period of three years over and above their regular giving. My, my heart is that, my heart is that um, when we do this, that we would say, all right, God, I'm, I'm testing your trustworthiness in what I'm doing. And, here, and here's a prayer. Lord, what do you want to accomplish through me to accomplish your will for grace? And, and you do what he tells you to do. Now, as we're thinking about that, specifically about the stewardship campaign, my encouragement is that you would also think creatively. You know, the, in the year 2020, there are some amazing ways that people are able to give. So in our last stewardship campaign, Cindy and I had several pieces of art that we loved. And through prayer, I felt that um, I wanted to, to donate them to the stewardship campaign. And uh, we did, and they were purchased, and that money was donated to the campaign. Now, that was over 15 years ago. Now, do you think I ever go, oh gosh, I love those pieces of art. I just, I wish, I wish, I wish I had those back. Not one time, not one time. On the other hand, do I take delight in what God did in our midst in the past 15 years? Absolutely I do. So there are creative ways that you can give. I've listed some of these. They're gonna be on the creative giving brochure that our team has put together back, uh, back in the atrium. There are things like appreciated assets, a creative use of IRAs, stocks, and mutual funds, things that you forgot about that might be valuable. Um, I, I've, I've talked to people who thought, you, you know, I got this, I had this baseball card. And baseball cards are not as valuable as they used to be, but um, I've talked to people who thought, you know, I, I, had that, I had that it was valuable and I wasn't using it up in the attic. You know, people have those things happen a lot. Um, our creative giving team has really done some remarkable work in coming up with ideas about creative giving. And we have this brochure out in the atrium that um, I think could be a way of thinking creatively about giving, especially now. So third takeaway is, over the next three years, let's anticipate what God, what God might do. You know, the thing that I am super excited about is this one word vision that God has given to us, transformation. And you know, when we felt like God was moving us in that direction uh, uh, three or four years ago, um, we were aspiring that God would do that more and more to our church. Now many of you have used the T word with me. Man, I went through this time and I feel like God really transformed me through this. More and more people are recognizing when God is moving in their life in a transformative way. Over the next three years, my, my, my prayer is that God would accelerate that in, in, a, really, in a really big way. Um, you know, here's what I love about 2 Corinthians 9, 12. Carrying out this ministry of giving involves far more than helping to meet needs. It inspires an outpouring of praise and thanksgiving to God himself. My most important prayer is that God will be glorified 
in all the things that we're doing. Let's stand for our closing prayer.